0: Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Race relations and anti-racism protests and rallies are at the forefront of many conversations across North America. It's a problem that's been ongoing for years, but is once again in the spotlight after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Today we are joined by Jimmy Thunder. He's a public speaker as well as a professor at Horizon College and Seminary. He's also the co-founder of Reconciliation Thunder, which is a nonprofit that uses social media to educate people on themes related to truth and reconciliation. He'll share with us the realities of racism in Canada and how we as a church can bridge race relations. That's today on Connections. We're joined today by Jimmy Thunder. He's a public speaker. He's also a professor at Horizon College and Seminary and co founder of Reconciliation Thunder, a nonprofit that uses social media to educate people on themes related to truth and reconciliation.
1: Uh, so, Jimmy, well, I think obviously race relations at the forefront of a lot of conversations all across North America. Uh, I think for Canadians, as we look south, With the death of George Floyd in Minnesota and everything that's been happening there, we kind of shake our heads. But often I find what a lot of Canadians think, we think to ourselves, well, at least Canada doesn't have a racism problem like in the United States. I think we think that because we don't have a history of slavery the same as the United States and we never had a civil war. And we seem to think that we don't have the same problem that is in the United States. But what's the reality for Canada?
2: Yeah, and um, I think before before jumping into that question, I just wanted to let uh, any any blacklisters know that uh, that I'm fully aware that I I can't speak for them, and uh, I guess I would be an ally, but I would be an like as an indigenous person I would be an ally, but recognizing again that only if if they extend that term to me, you know, um, I know that uh, just. As an Indigenous person and having the ability to talk to my wife, who is Black, about these issues, um, I recognize early on that I can never claim that I fully understand what it is to be Black, and she can never claim that she fully understands to be Indigenous. And so, in that, we commit to this sort of lifelong ability to do the best we can to learn for the rest of our lives, and uh, we do that out of love for each other, and
1: that's really interesting of- because, uh mm. like, you know, uh we think, well, Canada's problem with racism is only with indigenous people. But for black people in Canada, it's obviously a present problem as well.
2: Oh, it absolutely is. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that, for whatever reason, are... You know, trying to say that it isn't, um, but you just need to talk to people that live this experience, you know, make friends with a black person, make friends with a person of color. And you can and you can hear just from them that this is it's a very real problem here as well.
1: And you mentioned one of the things that that you two do to understand the other side is listen and talk with one another then.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think I think that's so important. Um, and this, especially in this context right now, like there's so much, there's so much anger, and, um, I think it's important to do that in a spirit of love. You know, um, if, if, if we are, um, if, if during this time we're not able to listen, we're not able to, to try to understand, then tensions can run high, friendships can be divided, and that kind of a thing. I think that we have to have the patience and love of Jesus and just really take this time to to open up and be
1: ready for another opinion. What is the reality of racism in Canada? What does it look like, and how do people experience it?
2: I think um, a really good a really good way to sort of illustrate it is the concept of microaggressions. So microaggressions is a term that was coined in the 1970s by somebody who was studying laissez-faire racism. So what microaggressions are is they're the sort of hundreds of slights that people of color experience as a result of their race. But when they experience it, it's different to trace the experience directly to race, and it happens really quickly, so they're very difficult to respond to. And uh, it often leaves the person experiencing them uh, questioning them, their you know their interpretation of it and, and that kind of thing. It becomes very difficult to trace it to race, and that's that's part of the nature of what microaggressions are. I think that um, the people who are committing the microaggressions, they they could even be unaware that they're doing it. It could be motivated by race, it could be not, but just the absence of awareness of what they're doing perpetuates microaggressions, and um, you know it's the phrase "death by a thousand cuts." Can illustrate the it illustrates the fact that we're not just talking about um, you know people who are who are dying because of this the physical violence you know that we see illustrated in in the death of George Floyd but you know people who experience this on on the day to day basis you know they are experiencing they can experience high degrees of you know trauma and uh, you know, that could ultimately lead to suicide in some people and. And so that being so common, it's really important to recognize that this exists and for people to, to really begin to understand culture and understand the experiences of people of color around them.
1: I have a friend who's an indigenous man and long hair. And so maybe what you're talking about could be something like uh, being followed in a store. He shares with me that he's often followed in a store and then when he leaves, he stops and he's think like, were they really following me? I'm pretty sure they were following me. Why were they following me? Right. And it's kind of that kind of thing going on then.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Like that's, that's a great example. Um, Even, you know, people uh, you're, you're in a group of friends, uh, you're meeting new people. You ask the person of color, you know, maybe it's a black person. You ask them where they're from, but you don't ask anybody else that question, you know? So it could be as small as that, but uh, it, or, or you, or you ask, you know, to touch their hair, you know, if they're, if they have dreadlocks in, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these, these uh, thousand uh, mini instances where you're doing things that uh, could be perceived as offensive, but not aware that you're doing it.
1: I think one of the things I've found, I recognize when I hear about things like uh, white privilege and uh, maybe microaggression, I Get defensive. My first reaction is, whoa, I don't have privilege. I grew up in, we weren't rich, right? And my mom gave me, made hand me downs out of my dad's old sweatsuits, right? And I didn't have anything given to me. But uh, what I've realized is when I start feeling that way is when I need to stop and like you said, just start listening. And that's one of the things that I've made my goal for this year is to just listen. Uh, to people. And you had already mentioned that's a great way to do things. So as the church and as Christians, what else could we be doing right now to bridge race relations?
2: Yeah, I, I hear the phrase all the time, I don't see color, and it sounds good. But the problem with that is that we need to see color. We need to see and celebrate different races and identities. Um, and, and to be aware that we have a culture, you know, like some people might say that I, I don't have any particular color. I'm just Canadian in general or something like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then you ask that person, well, what language are you speaking right now? What instruments are you playing in your church? What clothes are you wearing? You know, these are all elements of culture. And you ask them, like, so how do you imagine what are we speaking, playing and wearing in heaven? So you have to be aware that you are a participant in a culture and uh, and we're all swimming in, in it right now so i would I would ask the church you know so a lot of times we sacrifice our time and our money to do good but I want to be so bold as to ask people to sacrifice some comfort and and to and to listen you know for for a few moments uh to me and to and to people of color around them so so I want to talk about something called whiteness and I know a lot of people are sort of uncomfortable even with that term but I'm, I'm using that to label something that has been accepted um, in society. It's a it's a myth. So I'm not talking about our, our pigment right now, but just but just this this myth that society has accepted. There's certain rules attached to it, um, and and it allows people to be um, to be privileged and, and others not. Some to be accepted and others not. And the the power in this this concept of whiteness is that. Uh, these, this myth is invisible and accepted but not cognitively acknowledged. It's kind of the same way that um, you know, the phrase that says that the greatest thing that the devil has ever done is to convince people that he doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. There's, po- there, yeah there's, there's power in that. And the same thing with this concept of whiteness you know, or privilege. The fact that people don't believe it exists gives it its power. And so we need to continue what we're doing right now and don't let it be an invisible thing. Let's talk about it. Let's do everything we can. Everybody who has acknowledged it, talk about it. And, uh let's not get lost in the politics of our of our world, you know, right, left, that kind of thing. Let's remember that we are participants in humanity and that and that God has created us and that and that God loves us.
1: Right. And as you're talking, I just realized well Jesus saw a race. He saw the Samaritans, mm-hmm. he saw the outcast women, uh, he saw them, he recognized them, he went and started a conversation with them and he listened to them.
2: Yeah, exactly, and and people use the kingdom focus arguments actually for against this, and and it doesn't make a lot of sense. You no, know, they say like, not to me. They, they, yeah, yeah, people would say, you know, let's let's not focus on the politics of this world. Let's be kingdom focused, and uh, it completely doesn't make sense. If you read the full concept of the full context of Scripture and uh, the minor prophets and their teaching on justice, you know, we we have to we have to address these problems, and yeah. uh, you know the the church also teaches, you know, that we should just forgive these microaggressions, turn the other cheek and you know, just this whole virtuous victim narrative. Uh, but no, if if you if you teach people just to, to turn the other cheek in the concept in the context of microaggressions, what you're doing is you're just enabling the same game to be played and a hundred years from now it's still gonna be a problem. We have to politely address these things and in the moment, you know. Um, a person who hears a microaggression should stop that person and just ask to elaborate. You know, even, even if you just ask to elaborate, you're bringing attention to a problem and you're making the person aware of what they're doing. And you're doing it in, in a polite way but still making people uncomfortable and we have to be okay to make people uncomfortable.
1: Well, Jesus did that, right? He always answered often answered a question with a question of his own. What are you asking (laughs) back? And in the context of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile, I think a big thing Jesus was saying there too, he's like forcing those people to just show the folly of their unjust like actions.
2: Mm Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would agree a hundred percent. And, and and just continuing more about about the church, um, you know, we should we should recognize that over over the uh, the past couple of centuries here in Canada, the church has been became a tool of institutional racism. Right. If we look at uh, you know the Indian residential school system, or even further back at the origin of Terra Nullius and the doctrine of discovery, manifest destiny, and a lot of these things find their root in the church. And so today we have to recognize that. You know, if if do we have any you know institutional racism in our churches? Are we have we added something and blended it in with our identity of Christian as Christians? And can we can we do what we can to remove these things? I think that you a lot of the arguments you hear is that you know let's let's uh, just talk about Jesus and and not add anything to it, uh, and and we don't Jesus doesn't change with the times. But you know you know we need to actually acknowledge and look back that in our history something has already been added something has already been mixed in and we need to go back and look at what the gospel truly is before it got messed up in and uh, the different things that we've added to it over the centuries.
1: That'd be hard to do and to admit to when you do discover those things but also freeing and powerful if we recognize those things we find them confess them and then work to remove them.
2: Yeah absolutely absolutely and um, you know the sense, uh, just the sense of peace and this sense of um, joy you feel when you're when you're working alongside other people. You know, um, as it says in the Psalms, you know, to to be the voice of the blood, voiceless and uphold the, the poor and the oppressed. I think that God is really pleased when we do that. And uh, I think that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit just empowers and encourages us as we as we become aware of these things.
1: One of the other things that we hear common phrase is systemic racism, and maybe we brush it off and there's no such thing. But in reality, some people like me, we might not even actually understand what is meant by systemic racism. So can you just explain that a little bit to us and what that looks like? Yeah, for sure.
2: A good way to explain it is to contrast individual racism with systemic racism. So individual racism is your, as an, an individual person's assumptions, beliefs, and behaviors, it's uh, the kind of thing that you just go about doing on your, your day-to-day life as an individual. And so everybody's different, everyone has their own opinions, uh, and that plays out in a certain way in society. Systemic racism is a bit different. It's These are the policies and practices that are entrenched in established institutions that result in the exclusion or promotion of certain groups. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's the way the system works right now as a result of hundreds of years of being shaped by those who have that individual racism. And so it's the systemic racism is a, a bigger problem and a lot harder to solve. And so, um, and I'm hearing what you're saying as well, too. There's a lot of people that are saying systemic racism isn't a thing. Um, they're saying, um, you know, the reason why you have a disproportionate amount of people in the, the justice system, for example, is due to poverty. But then if you step back, especially in the context of, you know, Indigenous people in Canada, well, why do we have such a high, high instance of, of poverty just for indigenous people. If you really read what uh, the Indian Act for example and you even not only in the context of what it is to date but what was it in 1876 when it started and and you look at the past system that were, they needed permission to leave their First Nation, the permit system they need permission to sell things, peasant farming, they can't use labor saving equipment, severalty, they can't work together, like all these different policies have worked collectively to systematically oppress just one specific race and keep their economy from developing. And so, you know, so that leads to poverty, which, again, is is part of um, systemic racism. And if you just read the Indian Act today, just read through that document. That's a perfect example of systemic racism today. And, um, yeah, it's... uh, I think that it's just a case in point that systemic racism is exists and it's something we need to deal with.
1: Uh, you've helped us a lot thinking about how do we get better as uh, not only society, but as Christians, as the church, but any final thoughts on, especially as Christians and our faith and uh, uh, how do we move forward and how do we continue to get better and build bridges and, and reconcile all races, I guess? Yeah.
2: So I, I just, One thing is to really take this moment to leverage your your influence. This moment really matters. Let's uh, you know, every time a major event like this happens, um, you know, a lot of us think, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe now we're going to see some change. Like after after all of history, you know, like maybe now we're going to see some some major step happen. And so I would say to everybody listening, just you know, take this moment to leverage your influence. To, uh, to do something to continue um, these discussions. So say something from the pulpit on Sunday. post something on, on social media if nothing else, you know. Um, go to go to a protest, organize an online event. Uh, just read and educate yourself. you know understand more about what race is um, and, and what the experiences are of, of you know people that you care about. And, wh- and when you're posting something on social media, I I would challenge a lot of people, especially if you've been silent on this up until this moment, go ahead and say something, you know, say, say, say voice your support Mm, for for people who are advocating for justice and for change. And and don't worry too much about virtue signaling and and that type of a thing, you know, just just speak your mind and don't be silent because silence is what perpetuates all of this. And, and and a great thing to do as well speaking of social media is to magnify a black person's voice especially at this moment you know so so find other black people that are speaking out and just share their videos share what they're trying to say magnify their voice in, and let people listen and the most important thing is for us to believe that we do have a problem to fix you know there are people that that uh, you know, there are our loved ones, people in our church, friends and family that are saying that we don't have a problem with race, not a significant one, and, uh, and that this is just being all fanned by the media. And we need to stop that narrative because those types of things and arguments are absolving people of their responsibility to do something. And we need everybody working together on this. If, um, if we don't change attitudes then all those people that are sort of brushing this and trying to sweep it under the carpet those are the people that are continuing the problem and if we want to see our society better you know hundred years from now 50 years from now 10 years from now we have to we have to use this time we have to use this moment.
1: Uh, you've helped us a lot thinking about how do we get better as uh, not only society but as Christians as the church but any final thoughts on especially as Christians and our faith, and, and how do we move forward? And how do we continue to get better and build bridges and and reconcile all races? I guess. Yeah.
2: So I, I just one thing is to really take this moment to leverage your in, in, your influence. This moment really matters. Let's uh, you know, every time a major event like this happens, um, you know, a lot of us think, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe now we're going to see some change. Like after. After all of history, you know, like maybe now we're going to see some, some major step happen. And so I would say to everybody listening, just, you know, take this moment to leverage your influence to, uh, to do something to continue um, these discussions. So say something from the pulpit on Sunday. Post something on, on social media, if nothing else, you know. Um, go, to, go to a protest. Organize an online event. Uh, just read and educate yourself, you know, understand more about what race is um, and, and what the experiences are of, of, you know, people that you care about. And, w- and when you're posting something on social media, <clears throat> I, I, I would challenge a lot of people, if, especially if you've been silent on this up until this moment. Go ahead and say something, you know, say, 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 vo- voice your support mm, for, yes. for people who are advocating for justice and for change and, and don't worry too much about virtue signaling and, and that type of a thing, you know, just, just speak your mind and don't be silent because silence is what pre- perpetuates all of this. And, and, and a great thing to do as well, speaking of social media is to magnify a black person's voice, especially at this moment, you know, so, so find other black people that are speaking out and just share their videos, share what they're trying to say, magnify their voice and, and let people listen. And the most important thing is for us to believe that we do have a problem to fix. You know, there are people that, uh, you know, there are our loved ones, people in our church, friends and family that are saying that we don't have a problem with race, not a significant one, and uh, and that this is just being all fanned by the media. And... We need to stop that narrative because those types of things and arguments are absolving people of their responsibility to do something. And we need everybody working together on this. If um, if we don't change attitudes, then all those people that are sort of brushing this and trying to sweep it under the carpet, those are the people that are continuing the problem. And if we want to see our society better, you know, 100 years from now, 50 years from now, 10 years from now. We have to we have to use this time. We have to use this moment. And so just make as much noise as you can. Continue these conversations. And uh, yeah, let's let's educate and learn each other and learn what we can from each other about race.
1: Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us. A lot to think about, a lot to pray about and a lot to do. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Remember, if you want to hear the full conversation again, you can always do that by visiting your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.